0: If you have a bible turn to to Ruth, turn to Ruth. Uh, you know today um, I was supposed to do this message last week um, and uh, and so I was supposed to start with with Romans today, but i you know i I was so intrigued with sharing this with you, and last week obviously i i i uh, I am going to survive, by the way, uh, but it was, it was uh, you know, but I, I, I'll live, but it was bad for a while, so I couldn't do this, but I just really want, I didn't want to skip this one, and so I decided to, to share this passage, one more, one more picture of Christ, uh, one more picture of Christ in the Old Testament, and, you know, it, you know, we've been doing this series now uh, for several weeks, and it's, it's such an incredible look. And an understanding. It's, it's when you see these things. Why in the world would you record an entire book in the Bible to cover, to cover a young girl from Moab, not even from Israel? I mean, wh- what's the significance of this one? And remember that this book was here, you know, you know, thousand. Well, 1,500 years before Christ was born was the time in which this was set. And so why record this? And when you, when you really want to think, for those who want to know, when you really want to think and put this together, you, you, you can't do anything but say, that is amazing, that that would be included and then eventually end up in who Christ is and what he came to do. It's it's all true, truly remarkable. So today's title is redemption. Redemption is a word that a lot of times people don't totally understand. They kind of think they have it, but you know, when you know it's kind of like when you redeem your coupons, you know, and eh, that's not really it. But But what is the word redemption? In fact, there are several words in the scriptures that that talk about who Christ is, what he came to do. You know, justification and salvation, redemption is one. But a lot of times this one, in in fact, Jesus refers to it. In fact, other in the New Testament talk about Jesus being a redeemer. What does that even mean, right? Well, today there is no clearer picture in the Bible than of the story of Ruth, of what is redemption. Now... Basically, through this, this, this picture today, a picture of Christ, what I've been talking about is, for the past few weeks, I've been talking about these pictures like, like Noah, right, in the boat, Noah in the ark. The ark is a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. Why? Because it delivered Noah and his family through the waters of judgment, okay, in that parallel. Then you have, uh, you have Abraham and Isaac, right? And Isaac is a picture of Christ when you look at that whole picture. When the, the Passover you know, the, the, which is the derivative of our communion, Lord's Supper. And, and you understand the, the lamb, right? The innocent, uh, sacrificed, uh, blood put on the door, and then, and then the blood is what protected them, everybody that was in the house. So you have this other picture, Jacob's stairway or ladder, if you will. Uh, it, it becomes a, another great picture. We've been talking about these. And the last one I want to share with you, and by the way, there are many more. Uh, because all of these things pointed to who Christ is and what he came to do. Well, today, in the story of Ruth, the story of redemption, I wanted to give you just a little bit of background so that you can catch it fully. Now, if you go back to when, when obviously, when Israel was set free from their slavery through Passover, right? They went from slave to being free. Uh, There's another picture of Christ. And so, but they wandered the wilderness. They went to Mount Sinai, and if you know the golden calf story and all that, but they received God's law. Remember, God gives us His law, not to hold us back, not to keep us from doing things that we want to do, but to provide and protect. Rules are that way. You know, we live in a culture that is anti rule. Therefore, if you give me a rule, then I'm going to break it. That's our culture. But it is kind of sad because. You know, as a parent, I used to, I'd look at my kids and say, you know, I don't want you out past then. I wasn't trying to hold them back. I was trying to protect them, right? Again, uh, uh, God's laws are perfect. And so they become a very, very unique thing to understand. And so God had several of these that he gave us, especially in the nation of Israel, in the beginning of a nation. And there there were a couple of of these laws you're going to see, and we'll, we'll talk about those in a minute. So anyway, after that, they, they sinned there, they wandered in the wilderness for about 40 years, and then they went into the promised land. That's the book of Joshua, right? Book of Joshua. It is a cool book, fun book to read. It's a book of victory. It's a book of different things that happen. It starts off with Jericho. Has a whole lot of cool things that go through it, and they conquer the Promised Land. That is the land that God had promised to Abraham, and so Joshua divides it up among all of the the tribes of Israel. You know, you've got, you've got all the you've got Gad and and Judah and Benjamin and Reuben and uh, Asher and Danzer and. Vixen and Comet and Cupid, right? But you have all of these, and they, they sectioned it all out, right? All of this promised land among the tribes. And then the nation of Israel did real well as long as Joshua was alive. And for one generation after Joshua died, everything went real well. But there, it began to deteriorate. Anything that you don't take care of begins to deteriorate. Relationships, your relationship with God, uh, nations, obviously, promises that God had made to them and they'd made to him, and, and they begin to deteriorate. And this deterioration is, is recorded in the Bible in the book of Judges. The book of Judges is probably the most ugly book in all of the Bible. It just is not a great read. Uh, it just is what it is because it's just the ugliness of how things go downhill. In fact, in Judges, the very last verse of the book of Judges sums it all up. In Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And here was what it said about those days. In those days, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now that, you know, that is a dangerous way, to be honest with you, you know. Let me just tell you, let me just tell you something. I know that sounds, it would be sounds like cool because it's kind of like, you know, everybody want to do what they want to do. Okay, I, I get it. But when everyone does what's right in their own eyes, that's a dangerous way to live, right? Because we tend to change what we believe what's right according to fit according to what we want. And a, and a mess begins. That is why... Well, you know, why'd you you steal that? Well, I just, I believed it was right. Okay, well, great. So you can believe as you go, right? All these things happen. So so that's what comes about. Now, you have to understand that during this time, this is the time of Gideon and Samson and and Jephthah and, and Deborah and some of those who were judges. But when you take a look, the book of Ruth fits into this time. And so... And so it's kind of like this gem, if you will, this diamond in the rough, this gem that shines out among darkness, right? And I'm gonna fly through the book of Ruth. I've taken four or five weeks to teach through the book of Ruth because it is so incredible. But remember, I'm gonna be skipping a whole lot because all I want you to see today is the picture of Christ in Ruth's story. Okay. Does that make sense? So, and it always happens to be somebody comes come and say, Jeff, you left a whole lot out. I know. Right. We're leaving it out because all I want you to see is the picture of Christ. So, so let's, let's jump into, into the story in Ruth chapter one, verse one. If you'd like to take some notes, there'll be seven things, which we gonna have to go through them pretty quickly. Number one is sinful decisions, sinful decisions. God had told them to not to intermix with the cultures and the, and the pagan countries around them. Moab was one of the worst. By the way, Ruth was a Moabite, okay? And, and, and they were obviously brutal in some of their belief systems and, uh, and, and really barbaric, and especially in when they, if they conquered you, uh, I think sometimes it'd been better if you'd just died than to, to be conquered by them. And therefore around them. But God, God made it in this young country. He, made them, he, he gave them some rules, laws, that says, number one, don't, uh, don't go live in the pagan countries. And number two, don't intermarry with them. Okay? And it, it, was a, it, was a, it was kind of a law for protection. Okay? But remember, at a time when you did what was right in your own eye, you didn't listen to anything else or what God said. You did what you thought was right. And I've heard people say, well, how can you say something that is, that just feels so right? How can it be wrong? You know, and all these other things. I get it. It sounds good at the time, but, all right, you're going to see it come to play in the book of Ruth. It's a powerful look, all right? So here was a sinful decision, all right? Uh, Chapter one, verse one, it says, in those days, okay, when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So we have the setting of the book of Ruth the time the judges ruled, right? And a man who was from Bethlehem in Judah, he went to sojourn, that is he went to live in the country of Moab, and his wife and his two sons. So here's what happened. And guys, these are hard things to hear because I think all of us have probably fallen if, if you're a believer today, we've kind of all fallen in these areas. These things are just, it's just, I think we learn sometimes from some of these bad decisions, but they made some real bad ones here. So what happened was, is that there was a famine in the land of, of Bethlehem, okay, land of Judah, but everything was fine in Moab. So you have a decision to make. Okay, am I going to live where God wants me to be in a famine, or am I going to go to Moab where God doesn't want me to be, but there isn't a famine? The decision is yours. And how many times, I mean, people do I know through the years doing what I do, have made the wrong choice? Therefore, they go live in Moab. But the problem is, is the reason God didn't want them living in Moab, is because because of how tough it is to live there, right? And, um, and so, you know, when you're, when you're not where you're supposed to be, then you're usually where you're not supposed to be. I came up with that, <laughs> all right? I'm a brilliant person, I can come up with things like that. So I know that's simplistic, but what happens is it's a decision that you make and it puts you in a place, right? It puts you in a place that, that can be really tough, if you will. So this guy named Elimelech is his name. He has his wife's name, Naomi. They move, but the problem is when you make the decision is that you take your whole family with you, right? And they're now where they're not supposed to be. And so all these things come together, right? It's, it's, it's a tough one sometimes to take a look at. So number one, simple decision. They decided that, obviously, it was a good financial move for them to make. But was it necessarily what God called them to do? No. So when you're faced with that decision, I've seen people faced with that decision all the time, right? Is that what is most important to you will win out. It's an incredible thing to think on. Right? So number two, number one is simple uh, decisions. Number two is painful consequences. And these things, these things come into their lives and these are, these are really tough. Let's take a look at them. Chapter one, verse two. It says the na- the man's name was Elimelech, right? His wife was named Naomi and the name, the names of their two sons were Malon and Chilion and they were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. You know, in Micah chapter five, too, just for those of you who'd like to go look at it, that's a prophecy that the Christ Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And it says, Bethlehem Ephratah. So it was very specific of where Christ would be born. It's an amazing thing. Anyway, and so they went into the country of Moab and they remained there, okay? And then it doesn't tell us, but in verse three, it says, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi died and she was left with her two sons, we're not told what happened to him, but that this happened, right? Obviously, that he, he had died. And, and she was left with her two sons. Well, what happened to them? Well, they married Moabite wives, okay? Because when that's where you're living, right? You're not where you're supposed to be. And yet, this is exactly why God had the law that he had there is because eventually you go and you intermarry and you just, you lose who you are, right? And who God's called you to be. It's an interesting thing, right? And so it lists the name of the two. And one was named Orpa, not Oprah, okay? Orpah, okay? And then the name of the other was Ruth, okay? And they lived there about 10 years, so a whole decade, right? And in verse five, it says that both Malan and Chilin, they died during that time. So it just becomes, it becomes a real tough thing. And it says, so that the woman, uh, so that the woman, the woman was left without her two sons and now without her husband. And in verse six, she arose one day and she said, you know, I, I'm, I'm going home, right? I'm going to go back. I mean, she's not going to stay there, but she's been there 10 years. And, and now she, she's going to go back. She's basically saying, I'm going to go back I'm going to go back where I, where, where I should be, all right? where I never should have left. And so it says she had rose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab. Okay? And she, uh, she'd heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from a place where she was with her uh, two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. You can always go home. We'll talk about that at the very end. But you can always go home. God says you can always, no matter if you made bad decisions, no matter if there's been consequences, you can always come home. Remember the story of the prodigal son. It is the picture of the prodigal son. So Naomi goes home and she looks at these two girls and she looks at them and she says, and they're probably in their mid-20s, mid to late 20s. And she looks at them and she says, listen, I appreciate you wanting to go with me, but won't you just return back to your families? She basically says, I'm destitute, I can't help you. I can't provide for you. What am I going to do? And so she convinces Orpah to go home, but she cannot convince Ruth. I really believe just through the story that Ruth had become a believer in, in the true God because of Naomi. And she, she makes that, that great quote, you know, that you hear read at weddings often Um, In fact, I've even heard some who have used Ruth's vow to Naomi as their wedding vows, and they're pretty good. But the vow that Ruth looks at, when, when Naomi tries to get Ruth just to go home, Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or entreat me not to leave you. And then Ruth says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever you lodge, I'm going to lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God, and may God Deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me." Pretty powerful vow that she made to Naomi. So Naomi, it says, saw that he, she couldn't convince her. So the two, all right, the two moved back to Bethlehem. She, went, she left God's place full and she came back empty, which is exactly the story of the prodigal son for those of you who have ears to hear, okay? You leave full and you come back empty. And so anyway, number three is God's plan. So Naomi makes a step, you know, makes a step back towards where God's called her to be. And it's an incredible thing. They make it back home. And and so God had a plan. I I want you to hear about it. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Okay, now Naomi has no idea. I mean, her name means blessed. But when she came back to, to Bethlehem, oh, Naomi, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Don't call me blessed anymore, call me bitter because when you live in this world you can get better cuz this we just seems to steal from you it seems to take seems to be a constant taking from you but we've got to move all right so so Naomi now is 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 back there and Ruth looks at Naomi and says hey let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him and whose Side, I shall find favor. Remember, I've told you the Old Testament word for grace is favor. And she said, Go. Now, what does it mean to clean? Okay, well, let me give you, let me give you a, a short lesson. Okay. Back then they would plant fields, right? And there were fields of grain, barley, or wheat. And they and there, if you've ever seen wheat, it's just a a, a stalk, very, very small, but just a stalk. And at the top is the, is the head of grain. And so during harvest times, a big sickle, right? With a handle and a big curved blade, they would go and they would, they would cut down and then they would gather up the wheat together, put a string around it, all right? Tie it off and leave it in the field. And it was called a sheave, right? And then after they did the whole field, a wagon would come by and they'd load up the sheaves. But during the process of harvesting by hand, obviously you're going to drop some. And it became a tradition uh, that you would allow poor people to come and glean what was, not, what was left on the ground. Does that make sense? So she looks at Naomi and says, hey, let me, let me just scout out this place. It's harvest time and and maybe somebody will be nice and generous and allow me to glean. And of course, Naomi was like, go for it. So she went out and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now, if you like writing in your Bible, okay? Or if you don't have a Bible, if you have a computer, if, if, you, if you have a phone, if you have whatever, if there's any way to highlight, I want you to highlight, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Just so happened, coincidentally, you see, she made the decision to come back to Israel because it's where she wanted to be. I have found, guys, that anybody, anywhere in the world who wants to know who God is, God will move heaven and earth to make sure you find out about who he is. Does that make sense? So she made the decision to come and so God just so happens lets her bump into, right? Lets her bump into this field. You'll see the impact in a minute. So she just happens to be at, at Boaz's field who was the clan of Elimelech. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, right? And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. You know, just, just kind of a greeting. Hey guys, how are y'all, right? And they said, the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his young men who was in charge of the reapers, the foreman, he said, whose young woman is this? Because when you're in a small town, the town at the time Bethlehem was just a few hundred people. I mean, it's obvious when somebody new shows up. And so basically the servant said, uh, who was in charge, the foreman, said, um, basically, you know, she is the young Moabite woman who came back uh, with Naomi um, from the country of Moab. And she told me, she asked, said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves of the reapers. And so she came and she's continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. And then Boaz goes over, right? I've called this God's plan because only God can work this one out, right? And it says, Boaz went over to her and says, hey, listen, my daughter said, don't glean in any other field or leave this one, but keep close to, to my young women and let your eyes be on the field, all right? That they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? I don't think Ruth realized as a foreigner just how vulnerable she really was. Does that make sense to you? And, uh, and so <laughs> Boaz knew how vulnerable she was. And so he just tells her, looking out for her, hey, listen, okay, you just come here every day. and if You just hang around those that, that belong to me, right? When you're thirsty, right? I want you to go to the vessels of, and drink from the water that young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said, why have I found favor in your eyes? You know, probably up to this time, she'd been shunned, right? She was this girl from a very cruel, brutal country, right? And my bet is she hadn't gotten a whole lot of smiles. And she's a little bit shocked. And she says, why if I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, a foreigner or a Gentile, that is someone who's not Jewish. Boaz answered her, okay, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How many of you in here are from a small town? Raise your hand, All right? Raise it high. Look around you. They will attest and tell you that everybody knows everything in a small town. There are no secrets, no secrets in a small town. So Boaz says, hey, listen, you've come to Bethlehem. I know what you've done because it's gotten around. In fact, a lot of things get around that aren't true. All right, if you know what I'm talking about if you're from a small town. All right. All right. And since the death of your husbands, they've been so fully told to me, and how you've left your father and mother, and your native land, and you've come to a people that you didn't know before. Now, verse twelve gives you an eye gate into the decision that Ruth made and it will come up later at the very end. So don't miss this next verse. All right. May the Lord repay you or reward you okay, for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, listen to this, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. In other words, Boaz says, I know why you've come, because you've come to be part of God's people and under his protection. Interesting. Interesting. And then she said, I found favor uh, in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to me, though I'm not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz says, hey, come here, eat some bread, dip it in the wine, whatever, right? And she sat beside the reapers and they pastored her the roast, roasted grain. So he just kind of put her all together there with, you know, with all of his, right? So it came down to basically, you know, basically that she ate until she was satisfied and she had left over. And what she could, she took back to Naomi, then when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men to say, here, let her glean even among the sheaves. That is the things that are already tied up, right? Do not reproach her. In other words, drop extra for her, okay? Drop extra for her, right? And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, right? Do not rebuke her. In other words, whatever it takes. Now, here's a great question. Why? Why would Boaz even care about this foreign girl? There are probably a lot of other, you know, poorer people who are Jewish. Why why would he even care? Well, you have to know something about Boaz in order to understand the entire story. What you may not know about Boaz is found in Matthew chapter one. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, right, Matthew chapter one is usually a chapter you skip because it contains the begats. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so-and-so begat so-and-so-and-so, and it goes on forever. But they're there for a purpose. And you're going to see a really neat piece if you've never seen this before. Matthew chapter one, verse one, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now in verse two, it says, and Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac was the father of Jacob and Jacob was the father of Judah, you know, and all of his brothers, Joseph was included. And Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. They were twins by Tamar. That's a pretty ugly story too if you wanna go look that one up, right? All right, and uh, Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. And you want to say, Jeff, are you going somewhere with this? Keep hanging on, all right? And uh, Aminadab was the father of Nashon. And Nashon was the father of Salmon, not Salmon, Salmon, all right? Now, now, Salmon was the father of who? who? Boaz, the guy we're talking about. So Boaz is in the direct descendant of Jesus himself. But here's something I don't want you to miss. And Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Now, some of you may ask, who's Rahab? Right? some of you know, but some of you don't. A lot of people don't realize this, but Rahab is found in the book of Joshua. She was from Jericho. So she herself was a foreigner, a pagan right? And also she was a prostitute, Rahab was, in the city of Jericho. Whether some debate whether she was a prostitute herself or whether she ran a house of prostitution, we just don't know. But the one thing we do know about Rahab, you can read the story, it's found, I don't have time to read it. I tried to read it last night and I ran out of time quickly. But it's found in Joshua. In fact, let me give you the references in case you want to read the story of Rahab later. But uh, it is found in Joshua chapter 2 all the way down through verse 21. And so when they went into the promised land, Joshua went in and he sent spies to figure out how they could conquer Jericho, which was the first test. And so they sent these spies in and Rahab found out that they were spies and started talking with him and questioned, it's all there. And basically looked at them and, and said, listen, I, I, I've, we've heard, we've heard what's happened to you guys. We've heard that your God is the true God. And, and so she wanted to be a part of Israel. And so she hid the spies and the spies told her, if you'll hide us and show us, then, then you'll be protected. And there's this really cool story how when she hid the spies and, and when they left, they looked at her and said, when we attack the city, you know, that's when they marched around, you know, when we attack the city and take it, all right, we need you to hang, the King James calls it a, a scarlet thread. Really, it's a red rope, which is another incredible picture of Christ, which we don't have time to talk about, All right. But you are to hang a red rope out your window. And we make a promise to you that if you'll hang that rope out the window, when we attack the city, we won't attack your home. And everybody inside will be saved right? Sounds like Passover, if you remember the story of Passover. And it's exactly what happened. Rahab hung her, the, you know, what was it? Like the blood on the door, it was the the red rope, just another picture of Christ, which we're not talking about today, by the way, all right? But I want you to see who Boaz is and why he did what he did. Well, anyway, Rahab, when they conquered the city and they brought Rahab out, she became part of the Jewish nation. And obviously not only became part, but she really uh, really got, gave her life to the Lord, began to follow in the Lord. And she caught the eye of a man by the name of Salmon, right? They got married and had a child. You know, even within the genealogy of Christ, there are pictures of who he is and what he was gonna come to do. Is that in the line of Christ is a prostitute from Jericho. Right? These are all pictures of the difference that God can make in someone's life. No matter who they are or where they've come from. That's amazing to me. It's amazing when you take a look at it. It's all there for those who truly want to know. right? And so you can go on and read that, that Boaz became the father of Obed by Ruth. You'll find out in a minute. And then Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of King David which was to be the line of Christ. So why in the world would you have this obscure story of Ruth that would mean nothing if a thousand years later it hadn't ended up in the line of Christ? How can you put all that together? You can't. That's why you have these incredible pictures. And if you want to know if the Bible is really true, it's all there if you truly want to know it, seriously if you truly want to know it. So why would Boaz stick his neck out for this foreign girl? Well, he remembers his mom. I imagine as a kid, can you imagine the other Jewish kids teasing him about having a mom who's a former prostitute? Imagine that one. And so he's favorably disposed to Ruth and wants to help her in any way he can because of his mom. Oh, it makes sense when you begin to see it. Why would a guy do this? Because he saw, I think in Ruth's eyes, his own mom, a foreigner who'd come to seek refuge, right? Under the wings of the true God. It's an amazing thing. Number, number four is that Boaz is in a unique position Not only was it God's plan, but there was something pretty incredible here within this, and I want to tell you about it. Ruth chapter 2, verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, hey, where did you go glean today? And where have you worked? And blessed be the man who took notice of you. Because she came back with a whole lot. And so she told her mother-in-law, okay, where she'd worked. And she said, the man's name whom I worked for today or worked with today or whatever is Boaz. Boaz. And as soon, I mean you have to remember that Naomi was in a very hopeless place. If you've ever been in a hopeless place, it's not an easy place to be. But when you're in that place, and then just a, a flicker of light, just a flicker of hope. Okay? And that's what happened when she mentioned the name Boaz. She said, oh. So Naomi said to Ruth, hey, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And then she goes on to say this. This man is a close relative of ours. Look at this. He is one of our redeemers. Oh, what does that mean? Well, God gave, you know, because remember, when God gave the law, his law to, the, to his people, it's just not the Ten Commandments, it's many more. And within this law, he put a couple of things. And they're, they're very practical things. And, um, but one of them was called the kinsman redeemer, which is mentioned here in verse 20. This kinsman redeemer, what would happen is when they handed out all the land, right? And the inheritance is all the different you know, tribes. And then within the tribes were different clans. And within the clans, there were families. And everybody had an inheritance. And just so okay it wouldn't be that all of the wealth of the country would would naturally gravitate to a handful of people is that god put a couple of things into it all right number 1 he put in the year of jubilee if you don't know it's another picture of christ we don't have time to talk about it. but the year of jubilee every 49 years on the 50th year no matter who owned the property it would revert back to the original inheritance. Does that make sense? So if you sold the land, all right? If you sold the land that belonged to your family, after 49 years, it reverted back to the original family. So in reality, you only rented it. So God put that in because if not, then, you know, people would start buying up and, and you'd have just a handful of people who owned everything, right? And the other law that he put in, other than the year Jubilee, was the kinsman redeemer. What if someone had tragedy like Naomi? Well, then God put a law that, that a, a redeemer, that is a family that was dead, that was lost, that a kinsman redeemer, that is someone who's close in kin, could come in and marry the widow and raise up children for them. And they would, now those children would not get his inheritance, they would get the deceased father's inheritance. That's what's called a kinsman redeemer. This may sound a little complicated, but it's it's really not. And that's what Naomi meant. He's, hey, he would be one of our redeemers. Hey. Hey. Not a whole lot of hope, but just a little. Why? Because the redeemer didn't have to. Right? The kinsman redeemer did not have to redeem them if he didn't want to. So this becomes this great, I don't know, this great picture. All right. So anyway, so, you know, Ruth said to, Ruth said, basically, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young until after the harvest. And so Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, uh, that you go out with this young woman, you know, less than another field, you'd be assaulted. So it gives you just a little other thought of just how vulnerable she had been. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, and they gleaned barley and wheat harvests, right? Number five is a faithful request. Now, I'm going to have to speed through some of this. But in Ruth chapter 3, verse 5, I want you to know that Naomi looked at her and says, listen, okay, because a redeemer did not come to you and say, hey, let me redeem you. No, the one who is in need made the request. If you have ears to hear. Therefore, it was a picture of, of trust, in a formal request is that our family needs to be redeemed, the line of Elimelech, if you will. And she replied, uh, this is, I mean, in other words, Naomi said, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to get all dressed up and I want you to go down to, you know, down to the, the barn where they have it all harvested. That's where Boaz will be. And when he's asleep, I want you to, I want you to creep up and, and sit at his feet and uncover his feet. I have no idea why, all right? But that's what happened. Culturally, it is what it is, right? So, when Boaz had eaten and, and drunk and his heart was merry and he went to lie down at the end of the big heap of grain, she came softly, uncovered his feet. Know, and, and she laid down there. And at midnight, Boaz was startled. Yeah. You know, and so he turned over and he says, He sees, he sees her. And he says, Who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings. Remember the the picture? You have come to Israel to find refuge under God's wings. So in other words, this was God's law. So when she says spread wings, what she's saying is according to the Lord and his commands, it says, for you're a redeemer. So she formally requests and asks Boaz to redeem her and Naomi. And he was moved, obviously, being from the mom that he came from. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made the last kindness greater than the first. You haven't gone running after younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. All right, And so you have this picture Because remember, it was not financially, it was not a financial advantage to redeem someone. It put your property at risk, right? Because you were taking on more responsibility. In fact, it wasn't even yours, it was going to be someone else's. So it was sacrifice to redeem someone. But it was, again, if you've got the ears to hear that, it's an amazing story. It is one of the most beautiful stories in all of the Bible. Ephesians 2, 8, it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Therefore, this family was saved by a redeemer out of his own grace. But remember, Ruth had put her faith and trust in it. You have all the pictures here of the pictures of Christ in the, in the Old Testament, all of them. It's pretty, pretty remarkable when you think about it. So number six is what I'm gonna call a gracious redemption. Boaz goes, and there's a long story here. There's a closer relative that he has to go check with. And through a whole series of events, is that he actually, he actually redeems them. The reason I call it gracious redemption is because it was grace. It was a gift they didn't deserve. By faith through grace. And so you see this redemption that happened. I would love to, I would really love to tell you more about uh, this particular passage, but uh, basically he made it and sealed it and, uh, and it became part of their law when he redeemed them, right? And it goes on to say, um, it goes on to say that basically everything that happened was, take a, take a look down now. Let me read you just a little bit. Look in verse 10 of chapter four. It says, Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malan, says, I have, have brought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. There's the redemption part, right? Uh, Therefore, the name of the dead will not be cut off from, from among the brothers and from the gate of his native place. You see, the reason they had the law there. All right. So he redeemed them. There's a great story that goes around that. And, uh, it's actually pretty neat, but number, number seven, and we're all close is a changed life. God is redemption. Do, do you think that Naomi and Ruth's life changed because they were redeemed? Oh my gosh. Guys, this has been the story for the weeks we've looked at pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. Anytime anybody comes into contact with God's grace and puts their faith and trust in it, it always changes their life. It's not about being religious or following a set of rules or rituals. It's about putting your faith and trust in him and it changes you. Chapter four, verse 13 says, so Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife and he went into her and she conceived and bore a son. And then the woman, the women around town said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you, here we go, a restorer of life. So this redeemer restored life into that which was dead. So you have this picture of a changed life. And then he goes on. This is just a sweet thought. It says, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, okay, who is more to you than seven sons. So Ruth, can you imagine that other Jewish women would be saying how wonderful a Moabite girl is? But obviously God had changed her life. And Naomi took the child, laid him in the lap. He became his nurse, right? And... um. And basically another woman of the neighborhood gave him a name. It's a son who's been born to Naomi, and his name was Obed. And Obed had a son whose name was Jesse, and Jesse, obviously, son was King David. You can look through the rest of it. But guys, as I close today, in these pictures of Christ, you see, these are all things that had to have been done by one who was all-knowing or else why would you have this obscure story? Because it's not like Bethlehem was a big place. Many believed there were only about three to 400 inhabitants in Bethlehem at this time. So why would this even matter? Unless, you know, 1300 years later, Christ would be born and make it all important. It's an amazing thing when we look at it. But here's the thought, two things I want to talk to you about, and I'll be done. Number one is that there's never been a time, guys, again, that's why I keep telling you is that this message is not a Baptist thing, Methodist, Catholic. I don't care what the Baptist or Catholic message is. What does the scripture say the message is? And the the scripture talks about it over and over and over again by grace through faith. It becomes this picture, who Christ is, what he came to do. And because of who he was, he could do what he did. Because of who Boaz was, who is the picture of Christ, but because of who he was being a kinsman, he could redeem them. Because of who Christ is and what he did, he could redeem us. Again, it goes on and on and on and on. It's a powerful, powerful thing. If there's never been that time in your life that you put your faith and trust in him, right after, there'll be some folks up here that would love to talk with you about what it means. But guys, if you're a believer here today, there's another message for all of us, especially if you're a believer here today. If you're a believer here today and you've been living in Moab, are you, are you, are you checking with me here? If you, if you haven't been listening, just go back to sleep. But if you've been listening, if you're a believer here today, and you've been living, that has, I've made some decisions that have put me in places I don't need to be. Listen to me, you can always go home. It's the story of the prodigal son. It just takes one decision to go back home. And you have a father who loves you, which is the other picture of the prodigal son, right? Yeah. And I know there's, and in size, this number of this size, there's probably a lot of believers in here, right? You're living in the, according to the prodigal century, you're living in the far country. And as far as Naomi, living in Moab, right? And, It only takes one decision to go home. You may think it's all hopeless, it is not. God can restore, look at Naomi's life. I mean, she even looked at Ruth and said, am I gonna have more sons that you can, can, are you gonna wait for them, you know, until they get old enough where you can marry them? No, no, she tried to get her to go away, but God did something, right? And restored when it seemed hopeless to her. Uh, I I gotta stop. but the parallel is, I mean, is incredible, all right? So, looking at that as we end this series, these pictures, right, pictures of Christ in the Old Testament, just continue to, to drive home, right? The gospel message of who Christ is and what he came to do.